My name is David Yun, and you're listening to My Viewfinder, a podcast where we look to see the connections between photography, philosophy, and a way of life. I release an episode every Friday. Hit that subscribe button, don't forget to rate us, leave a comment, and thank you for listening. What's the most beautiful sight you've ever seen? I don't know, I've been to some pretty cool places. You mean places, right? It's up to you. I don't know, it's pretty ambiguous. Um, yeah. Recently, my so I have there's three kids in our family, and each of us have had a child.、Um, my little brother just had a boy, and so my dad met his grandson for the first time, and that was really cool. So that was an emotional sight. Where was that? Was that here in Calgary? or? Yeah, my dad came to Calgary, my brother lives here, so we were、wow. all getting together <laughs> recently. And yeah,、um, it, he's the first. Grandson in a while because my, my sister and I both had girls, so it's just like an emotional generational thing. <laughs>、um, and he'll be like the only boy that passes down the,、uh, the name traditionally, our family name. So that's kind of cool. It's awesome. Do you have pictures of it? Wait, did you have a camera on you? <laughs> oh, I have my cell phone. <laughs> I think I videotaped it. <laughs> I yeah, I have a thing about、uh, having my camera camera around during personal time. I think it's distracting, but. Uh, I think many photographers see the world through their camera, so that's a cool thing too. I used to say Helen was the Emerson portrait photographer because she had the phone and her pictures are great, and I, I just sat there poking them. My Viewfinder is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. Look us up at albertapodcastnetwork.com for Alberta based podcast content. This episode is brought to you by Park Power, a provider of electricity and natural gas in Alberta that offers low rates, awesome service, and profit sharing with local charities. In Alberta, you get to choose who you buy your energy from. If you choose Park Power, your money stays here. Plus, Park Power shares with local not for profits that are working to make a difference in their communities. Shopping local is very important to Park Power's owner, Chris Kozowski, and we love local here at the Alberta Podcast Network, so it's a great fit. Learn more at parkpower.ca. What does it look like to gaze into another human being's soul? Not sure? Book a portrait session with Miko Bain. Our talk continues as we talk about masks, representation, positive energies, and establishing positive narratives. If I've learned one thing about Miko, is that she's following her heart, and her heart seems to be in the right place. Here's the conclusion of my talk with Miko Bain. That it, it is quite impactful, isn't it? I, yeah. Photography is a weird thing. I mean, even、uh, when you brought up taking pictures of your family growing up, and so this is, in one sense, the purest and most、uh, intuitive form of photography, because There is no goal in editing or building images, probably not even compositionally at that stage. But when I find a lot of the influences, like、uh, researching, I, I'm starting to try to read some of this stuff, but you know, documentary photography and the history of photography, it's, it's interesting. Like, I, I've been thinking about what you brought up about how so much of it is edited.、Uh, maybe not necessarily in the specific fashion thing, like, you know, warping a woman's waist or, or cutting away a jawline, but even. The contextualization, let's say, of a war photograph or,、uh, or like a small town building, you know, that's such a classic thing in Alberta, which I still don't understand why it's so popular. But、um, you had this,、uh, you know, architectural picture of a corner store, but it's so out of context, right? I, 
I think it's a fascinating thing about our art form. I don't know. What, like, when was the first time you took a portrait as a client? Was it a few years ago? Um, no, probably recently. You mean um, like just one-on-one? Yeah, like uh, a one-on-one photograph. Yeah, um, probably recent, recently. Yeah. Um, in the last six months or so. Okay, I was going to ask like whether, yeah, if we reflected on, maybe we could do a follow-up uh, interview a few years later and kind of just see how you feel about how that picture both reflects on the subject and yourself and how you approach it. I I don't shoot, well, yeah, I don't shoot people. That's a weird soundbite, but I don't uh, take photographs of uh, portraits of people in that way. So I don't have a lot of insight, um, but it is, I, I just, I just want to learn more about <laughs> how you see it's these very things. intimate. Yeah. Especially when it's one-on-one. I think I shared with you before that I, um, if it's one-on-one and it's, I do something called a soul gazing, uh, which we described as awkward and uh, confronting. But essentially, before the session starts, we talk, you know, have our quick meet and greet. And then we drop into this basically, not a meditation, but you're just looking at each other three minutes or four minutes without speaking into your, directly into each other's eyes. And it sounds crazy, it probably is, um, but it immediately provides both of us with this shared vulnerability. And it is very confronting. Like at first, in the first 30 to 45 seconds, you're giggling and you're kind of this awkwardness. And then you just settle in and you recognize the other person's breath. You're recognizing how they are sitting, they're blinking. Like it's almost as though you can watch their that mask or that veil come off behind their eyes. It's this really interesting practice. And I think that helps a lot of my work. Like they really see the vulnerability in me because I am sharing that experience with them. So that helps, <laughs> even though it's equally as com- it's uncomfortable, but it's equally uncomfortable. And it's um, a shared experience. It's powerful, um, especially if you've never met that person before. To immediately share that experience is uh, translates into some cool energy. Yeah. Where Where did you learn about that? I was at a conference, not a conference, but like a workshop. It was almost like a yoga self-empowerment thing. And it was like a women's circle. And then we had to go into pairs and and do that. And I realized how powerful it was. And then in terms of connecting with somebody else, especially someone you don't know. And then I incorporated it into my practice, which is unorthodox, but it works. <laughs> um, it's not every single session. Like if it's a brand session or something, maybe not. But if it's like a one-on-one it's it's a one-on-one intimate session then yeah i'm just imagining like a product shoot and you're staring at a shoe but (laughs) (laughs) uh if you like if you remember the first time you did it is it any different than you administering the technique now uh i'm just imagining the first time you're asked to sit in front of uh, someone at a yoga retreat and stare into their soul i uh i don't know i still feel so weird about thinking about doing it <laughs> i know you try it with helen <laughs> i like to say that i do it all the time but uh yeah, yeah three minutes in silence would be a, would be something but it feels uh, like an eternity <laughs> um you know, one thing you said earlier which i i think is uh, you know with semantics being brave uh, or vulnerable to be brave or, or connecting the concept of being brave with uh, allowing yourself to be seen and i think one of our cultural issues maybe is that we think that we're only brave when wearing a mask. Um, And so there's an aspect, for example, I think if I went out in a costume covering my face, I might uh, do something I might not otherwise do. That often 
I think becomes a negative thing. Usually when people are bragging about that, they're doing something they ought not to be doing. But I came across, I think this is sort of a known thing, but uh, that courage is not the absence of fear, but the ability to act in spite of it. And I think it sounds like even with the soul gazing, this, I think it might work for you because you are looking for authenticity, which I think is great. I um, I don't know. It's this optimistic thing that I'm missing in my life. I, <laughs> I dream about authenticity, but it's nice meeting people who are acting in it. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. Do you, what is, yeah, what are the reactions? Like, what are the relationships you get? Has anyone kind of pulled away from having to do this thing? Does it have, have you seen it reflect in the type of photographs or the way you interact with them on the set per se? Yeah. Yeah, like people initially, like I'll share that I do it and then uh, when I beforehand and then I don't typically surprise them. Occasionally that's happened, but um, so they're kind of prepared for it. And then when we do it, I, I tell them like it's uncom equally uncomfortable for me. It doesn't matter how many times I do it, who I do it with. It's a new experience each time. And I feel like even if I did it with the same person again, it would still be an equally vulnerable experience. Yeah, no, no one said a hard no to me. And I think maybe it's because I'm like expressing that it's equally uncomfortable for me and that this whole experience is uncomfortable. And I recognize that being in front of the lens is uncomfortable. And I explained to them, it's, it's just as uncomfortable for me taking your photo because this art form for me is exceptionally, um, it, it takes a lot of courage for me to be here. And to be honest with you, I have a lot of nerves and like <laughs> I feel those nerves and it just helps us check in with each other and recognize that all of that energy is good and we're gonna harness it into something beautiful. Um, so that's kind of how I approach it or present it. Um, and I typically get a good response. Once it happens and we kind of digest how we felt, I usually like they tell me that it was a really powerful experience and like they've never experienced something like that with a stranger <laughs> um, or just like an instant connection or like a feeling of uh, acceptance as well, which I think is really important to create that environment where both of us feel safe to for me to use my voice or like try something that I normally wouldn't try but have you know we, that's the vulnerability that I share in that, in that time for them to say yes to things that I'm asking them to do if I'm asking them to like lay down on the ground or do something straining flip their hair or something that they normally wouldn't maybe do that there's more um trust that's built in by doing that initially and starting up from that foundation of vulnerability, trust, understanding and acceptance, and then it translates into our shoot. Do you, do you think, at least in the portrait sense, um, once you've established that trust, you know, there's a, a stereotype or a pantomime of a, let's say a fashion photographer controlling the scene and uh, determining a pose or shape, knowing either by form or by uh, experience that a person ought not to do this or this will have a desired, um, look or effect you know how how much are you in control of that how much of that is a, a conversational piece like how, how have you been finding the portrait sessions uh, evolving themselves um because i'm so new at photography a lot of um what i where i'm trying to find growth is in using my voice but it's also the fine balance of too much of my direction um and maybe that's where you're talking about the authenticity part is i allow them to move freely at first and we just kind of understand each other it's almost like we're dancing through the, the studio or the space together and then if there's something that i like I'm like, oh can you do that again or just like slightly encouraging that or, oh, let's try that a little bit deeper, get a little bit more trusting in your body and like lean back or try that faster. So it's more so they're leading and I'm following with like small cues um, rather than me directing and being rigid in what I need that to look like. Usually there's not a rigid shot list. It's like more of emotions or ideas that I had. And then if they, 
if it feels comfortable and natural, then I'll ask, you know, or sit here. How do you feel most comfortable? Or like stand as though you were waiting for the bus stop. Like, what does that look like for you? Like, you get to interpret that however you want. If you're bored or if you're excited because the bus has arrived or whatever that might look like, but it's like open-ended cues or opportunities for them to interpret it how it feels. And then on the other side of that, when I'm presenting the proofs, I try to present um, maybe even images I'm not. I don't love myself or what we wouldn't use for my portfolio or recognize like they might love them. So I try not to edit those and call those away. Like if, for example, their arm was squished to the side of their body and their arm looks bigger than it maybe could have had it been pulled away from their body. Like that's not something I'm going to call out of the proof or crop. Like, so I don't know, just like trying to keep the integrity again in the in that, what was created in that time. How do you find the feedback? I mean, just going into this and now delve into psychoanalyzing your clients but um I, you know the few pieces i've done um that involve other people there's a tension there for sure and i think particularly for me because i i'm also self-taught but i'm very interested in more of this um snapshotty street stuff or like very edited uh, let's call them art artistic something something um but when I've shot a few weddings or I've uh, taken photos of some portraits or some corporate headshots, whatever, there, there's, uh, there's tension um, because there's an expectation on the other side. Uh, how have you found dealing with, I guess, people's self-image versus your image of their selves? I think it, I think it comes down to them understanding that the, the images aren't going to make them, I want to say, love themselves more. Like that's not, it maybe it shares and a peek into the window of their relationship with themselves, but it all needs to come from within. Like I can't be responsible for providing with images that they will use to love themselves. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's tricky. I think that the because I really like shooting one on one because the energy is between me and the person in front of my lens. When you have like a couple, for example, the energy is between me and each of them plus the energy that they have with each other, right? Like that all needs to be considered. So there's almost three energy paths. So how I try to not control but <laughs> help that situation is they do the the soul gazing before we start the session. So as a couple, they'll do the soul gazing, check in with each other. There's no cell phone in my sessions usually. And then it's an opportunity for them to really just connect. And it's more of like a, a them to celebrate their, that relationship. So that, that's kind of how I approach when I have clients because that, that, as you meant, that tension, that's hard to pull that away. Um, but usually if I'm vulnerable and share a little bit about me and how I work and why I work that way and my values and ask them why they chose me, like usually those questions are, um, help make them feel safe and seen. You know, I, I think the core piece I hear from you is the sense of value. I mean, there's obviously a strong, well, for me, obviously a strong spiritual aspect, uh, we, you're using and we're using terms like, um, uh, uh, yeah, values, energy, etc. um, it's uh, it's a thing that I've been like a, f a little thing that I've been asking myself is how do I know if I'm acting in good conscience? So, you know, talking about this tension, I guess is why I picked up on this tension is uh, sometimes I catch myself and I don't know if I can answer these questions uh, straight, right? Like, uh, why did I take this picture? Why did I talk to my son this way? Why did I uh, get upset? Somebody cut me off in the street? You know, whatever the benign example is. Um, Clearly, I overanalyzed my life, but you know, do you find there's a, a core set of principles that help you kind of navigate this? Like, there's just a do you have a deep sense of right and wrong uh, um, when it comes to 
these things or is it an evolving feeling? I, I, I get caught there. I, I get very worried when I send a proof to a client that they're going to think I'm a, an idiot uh, or hate their pictures, etc. That's probably why I don't push that hard in portraiture. But yeah, do you, do you find that you have like a, like a strong sense of good and bad? right and wrong <laughs> yeah maybe not a strong sense of good and bad but i have i feel like i have a strong sense of energy like if we're not aligned i'll i'll know that we're not aligned and that i'm probably not the best suited photographer for whatever that project is or portraiture or that person like sometimes you can just feel it and to your point about it being spiritual like i think lately i've been considering like what that looks like in my work and i noticed that when i'm taking photos i do fall into this place of like hyper observant of the person the subject the energy and i'm not using my voice which is the the part that i'm trying to find the balancing because i'll just stop talking and and it's almost like an out-of-body experience that i'm trying to capture that person however it is that they're like for example there's just music playing there's always music and usually they're just like i'll just ask someone which is also very vulnerable because i wouldn't want to dance but like to dance along that wall however your body chooses to move to this song or whatever song they pick or whatever that looks like. And then I fall into this place of deep observance and hyper-awareness. And so it's mostly like energy rather than it being about a rigid shot list or a yes or no or something. And someone recently described my work as soulful. And I thought that was such a deep appreciative compliment. Like soulful is think is what I want to use in my marketing tagline but that's what I want my work to come across as like I don't want it to be stiff or rigid or restrictive um I want it to feel welcoming inviting soulful and yeah right uh, I think it will have to be because it feels like that's your approach a soulful one it, yeah it's a fascinating thing soulful authentic humanist maybe i uh, i like this idea that you seem to care about your clients <laughs> probably too much probably too much <laughs> um yeah like the business strategy part of me is probably not as strong as the client care piece um but that's okay with me feels good in my heart and that's what's important I also wonder if I did a shoot with you, what kind of amazing dad moves I'd, I I would uh, it would be amazing to take photos of me in awkward yeah angles. It would be pictures that could never be shown in public. I think, or maybe to be proud of. I'm not that shy. Uh, I also my cynical brain is just thinking like when you ask a I, I want to know maybe we'll ask again in five years how many couples can't complete a soul case. <laughs> oh my god uh, yeah that's awkward though because i think like for example i've had people like show up late to a shoot and you're just like in that energy where it's like rushing and i'm late and you're disheveled and you're worried about me and i don't know whatever it is and then you just like you know throw your bag down and like i just i'm that energy that like to be able to connect with your breath and slow down and like be present that's what I'm really looking for in that time is that they just be present with themselves and each other. Yeah, so it makes a big difference. Then, then thinking about everything else, the to-do list, what's for dinner, where they're going next. There's that, um, I don't know if I brought this up before, but um, around the 19th century-ish is when uh, philosophically and uh, sociologically we started categorizing human beings as machines. 
and this rigidity of how people ought to act. So yeah, like having a shot list, checking out 15 boxes uh, becomes very mechanical. Um, whereas I, I mean, I don't know, my experience is human beings are irrational. <laughs> and uh, if you can give them some space, I think there's so much more beauty there. But the tension is that I don't know if people even appreciate their own beauty, right? Uh, they want to be rigid and expect a certain shape even of themselves. Um, uh, so, I mean, just in closing, I mean, using maybe that, although it's a little heavy actually, but uh, go, so going back to representation in general, I mean, I uh, as the final key point, I think we've spent a lot of time on all three, but, um, you know, as a final reflection, yeah, especially with this idea of being soulful, um, what does representation mean abstractly for you? Like, what what is good representation or authentic representation either like for a person themselves or through our work um like what's the goal what what's the what's the ideal perfect state um and where does it get power yeah well i think like all photographers have power in the narrative like intrinsically whether you choose to recognize it or not in whatever medium that you choose to shoot or whatever types of industry you're in but i think like we all have access and like that access part is um, a huge part, you know, needs to be recognized and needs to be respected. And then I guess I I want to be surrounded by other people that look like me, the people that I'm working with, um, the people that I'm supporting. And then I, I want to be able to storytell in a way that's not um, diminishing of who they are and what they are and, and what maybe I don't want it to be aligned necessarily to all the stereotypes that exist and whatever labels that are put upon them but I also think that it's important sometimes conceptually I conceptualize things or like different pieces like what I've done with the exposure studio is I submitted something that um kind of pushed the boundaries and, and confronted people to think about um something else basically like let me just read you the what I wrote to them I wrote, not another headline, The Human Toll is a photo series created by Miko Bain that challenges people to think critically about the media they're consuming and the relationships that they have with the articles, language, subjects, and images. I further confront the influence media has on our identities and the emotional trauma and baggage it leaves, impacting our connections to yesterday, today, and tomorrow, um, and our responsibility to shift the paradigm. So I think um, we have access and responsibility and representation to recognize the power that it has and then influence it for the better. Um, and that means bringing people of color into all aspects of our work. So, for example, if there's somewhere I can print that's a, owned by a person of color, if there's someone that I can have as a makeup artist as a person of color, if there's someone that can do hair that's a person of color and like that I'm renting space from or anywhere that I'm touching in my industry, I think it's important to support and then also represent um, other people are even when I'm presenting model options like more often than not the model options I've presented them are, are five women of color like it's very rare that I would present five Caucasian women like I'd like to think that that's not why you're coming to me because that's not my quote-unquote brand or what I represent and hopefully those values are portrayed strongly in the images that I continue to create and the intention yeah is inspiring it's powerful I I, I just wrote uh searching for soul uh in photography and i you know my damning response would be that social media has sucked it out of all of it but uh i think it happened before frankly you know photography is a weird 
thing, which is not to say that it's impossible to do what you're doing. I mean, you're clearly doing it, and we're meeting a lot of people that are, um, yeah, trying to give images substance. Um. I also think it helps with like just human connection. Like, I think about my daughter who's like triracial, so she's Caucasian, Filipino, and Black. And for her to like see the photo that I just recently posted is of a family friend named Shanice, and she has braids. And in the photo, the braids are swinging and like there's movement in her braids. So like it's almost as though she's owning this stereotypically it might have not been um, a reputable, quote unquote, appropriate hairstyle and like the workforce or wherever, whatever, you know, stereotypes in society that we live in. But to have my daughter see images like that, where a woman of color is owning it and proud of it and confident and with so much strength and regalness, like that really gets me excited. And I think like that helps with connection, our connection to each other, our connection to humanity, like our connection to our own stories and ourselves. Like I think it hopefully um, creates some internal dialogue with our ourselves and our greater community. So I guess my final question then would be, do you think do you think the photographer and the artist can control that messaging? And how much are we leaving up to the audience to interpret? So when someone's, let's say, on your feed for that photograph, uh, presuming we'll stay in the Instagram, but Instagram itself is is a highly questionable place to find soul, uh, unless you're reading the caption and know, know the people involved. But um, let's say that photograph that you just described is, um, you know, in print in a magazine or uh, portrayed somewhere you know, in a gallery or on a, an ad- advertisement, do you think that we as artists have a responsibility to in, uh, almost enforce that the public understands your intent? Or is it enough for it to be ambiguous and just hoping that it'll inspire even one person? Um, you know, do we need to control that messaging? I don't think we can control the messaging as much as we want to. I mean, we try with small captions or whatever that, however that shows up, but. I think that's part of the beauty in it is that there, it is ambiguous and people are left to their own devices and experiences and perspectives and prejudices and biases to interpret it as they see fit. Um, but to that point, like I hope that I'm always creating from a place of love and understanding and vulnerability that I never feel like I created something out of ill intent. Um, but again, I can't control what other people think. So <laughs> I try to push that out of my mind um, and just create something that I see. I think maybe now that you've shared that with me, maybe I'll start asking what people feel in my, <laughs> that'll be my caption. How do you feel when you look at this image? And then I'll get some dialogue surrounding what emotion they feel. Um, that's an interesting, I've never, because I didn't, I've never had a show or anything. I've never had any dialogue except for when people occasionally share some feedback on the images they've received from me, but I'm interested to hear more about what, what, how people interpret things. uh, Just going back to the idea of tension, I, I mean, I, I, you know, my experiences are going to be very unique to me because I have, you know, a lot of uh, psychoses, but uh, anytime I've had something in public and asked for feedback, you know, it's uh, there's a lot of tension there, right? Because I may not be willing to hear what some people have to say, and a lot of people may not be willing to tell me what they really think, etc. Um, but finding a way into that conversation would be fascinating. Uh, I mean, I I just released, or at least in the back catalog, Caitlin and I spoke. And I don't know if you ever saw the piece she put up at uh, MRU, that giant portrait, but um, I thought it was fascinating when she was talking about how she wanted, not just to obscure it for her own personal sort of idea, but she wanted feedback. And finding ways around that would would be fascinating. Yeah, whether it's uh, asking a direct question on Instagram or finding like in a show, 
I don't know, right? Like an ambiguous comment box or some, some uh, anonymous something. It would be it'd be great. Their video room where they just <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right? Like you Still go out to the every... side and be like, what, the, <laughs> what is this? You know? <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe. That's some like real highbrow installation shit. And then you're videotaping it when they don't realize. Yeah. (laughs) Live broadcasting that in front of, yeah, that'd be too many, too many layers, but no, I, thanks. Thanks. I, I, um, I do love your work. I, I think the piece you just published and we'll see how you manage your public persona, at least as far as I have access to. And I'm excited to see your work at Exposure, whether we can look at it physically or it becomes digital. Uh, Who knows what the pandemic has uh, in store for us by February, but to see how you develop searching for soul will be fascinating for me. I'm glad to have met you. I I hope that it goes well. Too. I, have, I have no expectations also it's probably a good thing if you could tell the world one thing what would it be not to be afraid to be seen as you are um, wholeheartedly the alberta podcast network features albertan podcast content podcasts like the emergency preparedness in canada podcast features current relevant and canadian content for those passionate about disasters and their management Listen as hosts Dr. Joshua Bezanson and Grayson Cockett interview leading experts, review landmark publications, and debate important issues. You can find them at epicpodcast.ca or through the Alberta Podcast Network, albertapodcastnetwork.com. What's your earliest memory? I think last time we chatted, my favorite, my earliest memory was, um, I think, my first day of school photo. I lived backing onto the school's uh, schoolyard. So the photo is of my father and I holding hands. I have like my backpack on, crisp dress, and then the school is in the background, but I'm standing in our backyard. Pretty sure my mom took that photo, but I don't have one of my mom on that day. So that's probably my earliest memory that I can recall. We have to dig the photo up. It feels like yeah. maybe photography is a formative part of your upbringing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>